I'm Keaton. I'm Laura. So we are combining three of the things we love, podcast and then story and breakfast. And specifically, we're looking at the biggest story. We tend to read the Bible like it's something boring, um, a little more mechanical, when in truth it's full of all kinds of complicated characters and plenty of room for the imaginative. Uh, we're hoping that this could open up the way we read these stories, that we would see the people in them as real people and that that might help us connect to maybe God is real too, if the characters are real. We're going to look at a bunch of different stories in scripture and just ask the question, what did they eat for breakfast? And what did they want to eat for breakfast? And we're also just going to talk about what life felt like for them in the hope that maybe we'll see ourselves in the story and we'll see a real God moving through real people. We're calling this the breakfast translation. So we're going to start this episode with an update on a very important question about breakfast in the Bible and just breakfast in general. We wondered on one of our episodes, I can't remember which one, but we wondered about coffee. Yes, very early on. Very important. Yeah. Did they have it? Yeah, because for most of us, that is like a first. Are you a coffee drinker? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, to a fault. So that's a, that's a big part of our morning ritual. I actually didn't drink coffee for a long time. Really? And then I think it was just I, I had tasted it, like, and I just didn't care for it. And then it became about, like, I feel like it's as much as people drink it to, like, speed themselves up, I kind of drink it to slow myself down. Ah, like, huh. it gives me a chance to just, like, sit with a hot with something. cup and, like, stare off into the distance for a little while. So how long ago did you start drinking coffee? It was probably about three or four years ago. Whoa. Yeah. You went a long time without I coffee. Did. I did not know that. And it was also because I was doing so much work in coffee shops and I would just get like the the drink that was farthest away from coffee. Mm. So it was usually like some super sugary, right? Like the honey chocolate Ice maple cream latte. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and and if you stay in the coffee shop long enough, you feel like you have to have two of those. Well, two of those will they'll just break a person. Like you just can't. <laughs> that's just yeah. so much sugar and sweetness. And, yeah. Um, so I coffee felt like a better, healthier okay. option. Okay, I did not know that for camping out in coffee shops. Well, welcome. So, to coffee world. <laughs> I'm very glad to be here. Yeah. Uh -huh. um, it, it's, a hot, it's a hot place. So uh, it, we were kind of wondering if this would have ever been a part of their morning ritual. And I did some extensive research on Wikipedia. And? <laughs> I looked at least two articles. Yes. So I'm sure this is accurate. Yeah. Wikipedia and I learned a few, a few fun things. Yeah. One of which is that they would not have had it in the Bible. Ah, <laughs> that the earliest okay. traces of it go back to like the ninth century, and it would have been in the realm of the geography of the Bible because most people think it has African origins, um, but it didn't really get into the Middle East even until later, like fifteenth century or so, and mm -hmm. then it became like a Middle Eastern and, and European ritual. Okay. So and we still managed to get a lot done in the Bible, in my opinion. <laughs> That's right. So it becomes even more impressive uh -huh. that they did all these things without any access to caffeine. Now, a couple of things that I thought were fun, regardless of how much it ruins the question of whether they had coffee in the Bible, is that a, one of the legends, now this is not a thing that Wikipedia could confirm, as you know often happens on Wikipedia, <laughs> but one of the notes was that a farmer noticed his goats <laughs> being extra energetic. And he was like, what, what has gotten into these? Yeah. What's got their goat? And, uh, what's got their goat? <laughs> and it was, uh, they, were, they were drinking, well, not drinking coffee. They, hadn't, they, they weren't, weren't sipping <laughs> they on lattes. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't have like the Chemex set out or anything. Um, but they were 
nibbling on cocoa beans and it was giving them extra extra energy. Wow. I wonder how wild they must have been acting in order for it to be a noticeable difference. Right. Or they were just like checking things off a to-do list. Right. You know, they right. were able to do like 15 things before 9 o'clock. Being so productive. Yeah. And, and the farmer was like, this cannot. How, are they, how are they getting so much done? Mm-hmm. Um, I also, this is also from Wikipedia, but I kind of loved it, that, that the coffee may have had a religious use in its early days. Okay. So... Do you know much about the Sufis? I actually studied the Sufis a lot in college. Okay. Just by happenstance. I really, and I noticed like whirling dervishes, like I had to um, write a lot about them in college. Okay, so uh-huh. you're ready for this. I'm then. ready. I'm yeah. excited. One thing I think is when you study world religions and stuff, it's always fascinating to me that um, in all the different religions, these sort of same streams, these same tendencies show up. In, in like, at least for like uh, Christianity, Islam, Judaism, yeah. that there's like the academic thread and there's the legalist thread. There's the people who are very into right, like ortho, orthodoxy, like the right belief. Okay. There's people who are very into orthopraxy, like the right practice. Like it seems to be that in most world religions, there's people who focus on what you think about deities. There's people okay. who are really into like how you behave. But then there's always this mystic trend, too. So we're talking about different ways that people uh, go out and practice the religion or interpret or spread. Yeah, and, it might okay. find different expressions. So for okay. some people, it's a very heady thing. Yes. And it's really about what you think about who God is or what a God might be like. And then other people who think it's about how you live, like it's mm-hmm. an ethical system for them. But the mystic thread is always my, I think it's one of the more interesting right. human expressions of religion. And it's people who have, like, an experience of God. And the Christian mystics are some of my very favorite people uh, to read. So people like Julian of Norwich, um, Catherine of Siena, St. John of the Cross, some of these people who had, like, a divine encounter. Uh, Teresa of Avila wrote this great thing about um, prayer has a castle where she's she talks about prayer as, like, going deeper and deeper into this castle and learning about all these new rooms. Mm-hmm. of who God is and she was kind of a mystic so mystics really bring like this interesting part of like religious expression to life I think okay and what makes someone a mystic what's that yeah I think it just means like you you have an encounter with God like you the think, experiential yeah, component you think gotcha. God is right here and it it sometimes I, these people also seem like like if they stopped you at a party or at a coffee shop you might think a little wild like, I don't know if I can handle that <laughs> like okay yeah, okay like pretty or maybe at the time you follow and then you think about it after a little bit yeah you're like, like oh so um Julian of Norwich her big idea is that she wanted to feel the suffering of Jesus mm. and so you know which I think is something that it, for those of us who kind of live in our head that's hard for us to even imagine but she her writings are all about feeling how much Jesus suffered so she wanted to in her body experience the same kind of pain that Jesus might have during the crucifixion. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. some commitment. It's They're very intense people. Um, but some of what they see is like a brand new experience of God, right? And we're actually going to see this even in Acts. Like Paul is going to have this moment on the road where he gets a vision, right? And it, he's blinded by the light, like, and it's kind of extraordinary. And so for as much as he's credited as being like a, a smarty pants academic type, he actually has a mystical experience we're going to talk about in a couple episodes cool um 
But yeah, so the Sufi Muslims are kind of the the mystical expression in the world. So what? Tell us what right. you know about the whirling dervish because they would use the caffeine has a part of the whirling dervish oh, ceremony. Oh, cool. Yeah, I didn't know that was a component. So the whirling dervishes, um, basically, so they there's a positional way that you hold your body. You hold one hand um, to the heavens and one hand to earth, and you rotate. So you're spinning, and um, it's all about how movement is meditative and connects you with everything in the world that's moving, and the heaven-facing palm and the earth-facing palm is to show, like, glory to... Um, the greater and to the earth and it's all about like movement and connection and yeah but it's very meditative and very long term they're spinning forever yeah it's a very bodily experience right right? yeah Mm -hmm. and so they would I guess use the caffeine to stay awake for these for this prayer and this dancing right and I kind of love that maybe that's a an even better like expression of mysticism it's this idea that heaven meets earth in us Mm -hmm. you know and that's something that we we give lip service to, I think, in Christianity, but we don't ever want it to look too wild. You know, we, we don't, don't put our hands out and spin yeah, for hours we're on We're very end. careful, especially in the in the kind of churches we grew up in. You know, like you don't think of dancing in church like we're very like stoic almost. Yeah, there's the some swaying that happens in yeah. worship sometimes. It's but. almost like kind of wild that we would bow our head mm-hmm. you know you almost don't want to like physically give away that you believe there's a god right whereas these people are like whole body proclaiming right that something else is happening in the world yeah around them and participating in it it's really neat yeah so i love learning that little bit uh, of information like i said i've always had an appreciation for mysticism everywhere that it kind of pops up in in the study of religion um and I think there's something for all of us to kind of learn in that, like of a full-bodied faith. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, and obviously that is easier when we think about being awake and like having ca- caffeine and being nourished uh, in the morning. So that's our that's our coffee hour talk, coffee talk. Mm-hmm. Um, We're all in I think we could still, because the purpose of this podcast is also to just kind of imagine like we're not always going for historical accuracy, right? So we're also trying to ask, like, if these people were alive now, would they be the kind of people who would have a maple sugar honey latte? Or would they be a black black coffee type, right? Right, so yeah. It doesn't have to be accurate. It's just to say what kind of person would they also be if we encountered them in a coffee shop. Mm-hmm. So I think we can still play with that, whether the people would be uh, coffee drinkers or not, if that was available to them. And maybe even if they would be, if they would be dancers when they prayed. Right. Or if they would be people who very calmly bowed their head. So we're going to get into this week's text is Acts 6. And instead of dealing with like breakfast, we're actually going to find ourselves in a story where there are some people who don't have breakfast. So we're actually dealing with hunger in this episode. And I think there's a couple things that are just important for us to note. One thing is that at the end of chapter five, there is this little preview. Uh, Luke is a brilliant writer. Several times what he does, he will forecast. He'll give like little teasers, um, right. like little movie trailers of things that you're about to see yep. that won't really make sense until a chapter or two later. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of chapter five, he has this little note um, that the disciples rejoiced that they were considered worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name. 
And we've talked before about how important the name of Jesus is in the book of Acts, how everything that they did, they made sure to tell the crowds that they were doing the thing in the name of Jesus. And this is actually often what gets them in trouble. The part, so it's not the content, but it's the thing. And this is because of Jesus. Right. Yeah. Because Jesus himself, right? He's ultimately persecuted and killed by the, the powers that be. And so again, if Acts is a continuation of the story of Jesus and the disciples are trying to do what Jesus did, that will also come with the results that Jesus faced, which was persecution and ultimately death. Uh, but we don't rush right into that. Uh, first, we have a little matter here that's actually about uh, cultural differences. Differences. Uh, I know it might be hard for us to imagine a world where there are disparities in like culture. Right. And where some people have some and some people don't have enough. Uh-huh. Uh, maybe we have to do a lot of work to imagine to a dig, world like yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, but we actually have kind of a, a cultural collision here. Uh, Acts has several stories like this where different cultures are colliding. Sometimes these are connected to race. We are going to see stories where different ethnic groups are brought together and where barriers come down in that way. But sometimes it's also just about cultural differences. So we're at this moment in the Jewish story where the the Greco-Roman Empire has kind of taken over a lot of people's lives. Like, it's almost... This is a very poor analogy. This is not. This is. I'm ready. It's awful. I'm ready. Let's, but let's do it. It's almost like a Netflix taking over a blockbuster. Oh, okay. You know, like uh, the Greco-Roman Empire is so powerful in their language and their art and their philosophy. It's so overwhelming, and so these. You know, when you think about it, the Jewish community, was this minority community, and so there started to like, and it had kind of defined itself by its Jewish identity and so and it was there are certain people who were trying to hold on to the jewish language jewish art jewish philosophy the jewish way of seeing the world and then some people who were starting to like accept some of the greco-roman culture influences gotcha so we're going to see the word hellenist here and what that means is that there were some people jewish folks who had taken to greek culture got it they were okay with this yeah great Uh, yeah so they were maybe appreciating like Greek art, or maybe there were certain poets that they liked, and maybe even they were losing some of the, like there, we saw at Pentecost, right, there are some Jewish folks who have learned new languages, and so the Hellenists are people who, they still believe in the Jewish God story, but their lives have, have are starting to look okay. a little more Greek. And they would def- define themselves as Hellenists too? Yeah, I mean, it's this moment where everybody's kind of, it's a shift that's happening, and so you see that thing that happens to people when they feel those shifts come, that they either go with it or they fight against it. And so there's this moment where the, the people who have kind of leaned into Greek culture are starting to feel cast out. Okay. And that has resulted in them not having enough food. Because one of the things we saw, right, is that the church is taking care of needs. Yes. That the church is, if anybody's hungry, if anybody can't pay their bills... We've got it. We're going to come together. We'll take care of it. But there's a disparity going on. And the people who are like more Greek leaning are saying, we're hungry. Like we don't have enough for breakfast. We don't have any barley bread. We we don't have any of this stuff. And so the disciples, uh, what they decide to do is to like organize a team to make sure they take care of this. This is a very big piece of who they want to be as the church. And so they say, let's pick 
seven of our best people. And Steven is one of the people that they pick to be on this team of people who make sure everybody gets Get not just breakfast, but yeah. all the meals. Yes. Right? This is a very big, a very big deal. And so what we know about Steven, who's kind of our main player in, in the story of six and seven, is that it describes him as being full of grace and power. How would you like to be described as that? I mean, <laughs> that's a, a good, like to have both those things. Right, grace and power. Yeah. And so here's Steven. He's described as somebody who is full of both grace and power. Uh, but that doesn't mean that his life uh, is easy. Because pretty early on, before we get to know Stephen much better, before he gets to do very much um, caretaking of the people, uh, he gets accused of doing the same kind of things that Jesus gets accused of. And he gets called for persecution. And it's kind of fascinating because what the, the powers that be, what they say is that he is speaking against holy things and the law. Right. Which is the same thing they said about Jesus, right? right? And they yeah. even like they get mad at that, that that he's he's saying he's saying things against this holy place in the law, and we have heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth is going to destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses handed on to us, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that cultural clash. Yes, the anxiety about the new and mm -hmm. yeah, we can't change. We have to hold on to what Moses told us, which is the same thing that they said when Jesus started saying these things. Yes is that we cannot let go of what Moses said, or we can't hear what Moses told us in a new way. And so that was a part of their persecution. And so Stephen gets accused of doing the same things. Um, and what was your impression? What would, what would Stephen, full of, somebody who's full of grace and power, what would a person like Stephen eat for breakfast? He Stephen would eat... Um, hmm. I mean, you know he would have a good breakfast. Yeah. Full of grace and power. You could do kind of like both and, like the savory and the yeah, sweet. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe he, he can handle it all. He can embrace contradiction, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Because I, I thought of two very different things for him. Okay. And? Which are just what you said. Like, I thought at first maybe he would only have like a simple toast. Because of his... Yeah. Down to earth. Because of that, all qualities. that grace. I don't need much. Yeah, I, I just, I'm a simple man. Yeah. Maybe he would just have uh, some simple toast to get him through. But then I thought maybe because he's also full of power, maybe he's one of these people who's super thoughtful and makes like a, a smoothie. Okay. Adds the protein yeah. powder to it. And yeah. Like everything he needs go. for the day. He gets, he takes care of himself first in the morning so that he can serve other people the rest of the day. Yeah. Fills and, his cup so yeah. he can. Mm -hmm. Both of those kind of seem possible to me um what i also think is that he's maybe the kind of person who doesn't uh, do breakfast alone like maybe he finds people to join him for that or maybe he's with the people he serves enough that he, right he's always with other people maybe he takes what's left after they give stuff away mm -hmm. um but i think whatever he had for breakfast it was probably something this is this is a a, a beautiful person in in the story right he's um now, I will say what he does is he has a long speech. Yes, as they do. <laughs> yes. As we've talked about, what we've come to expect in the book of Acts is these extended speeches. Uh, and it's also fascinating to me that, you know, when you think about when Jesus is brought to trial, he doesn't speak. 
Yeah. That when they ask him questions or when they raise these accusations against him, he says like simple things to kind of defer. And he, he almost is just like silently absorbs the accusations. Mm -hmm. But in Acts, main, many of the people who find themselves persecuted, they use the moment. Yes, to um, preach of sorts. Yeah. yeah. They're like, we have a story we have to get out into the world yes. as fast as we can because we don't know when they're going to like persecute us or murder us. And so when they get a microphone, they, they take use it. it. Yeah. Yeah. I I've, I've, have never heard of an opportunity in court where somebody was like, and now you must know Moses. <laughs> yeah. It does feel like a courtroom drama uh -huh. sometimes. like, And that big dramatic like... The person stands up or they take the mic and then there's like a slow clap or something, right? It, it feels like a courtroom drama sometimes. And um, Stephen's speech, if you had to sum it up, do you, did you read Stephen's speech? I read we, Stephen's speech. Yeah. If you had to sum it up, what would you say about his speech? It was very focused um, outwardly. It wasn't like, I am innocent. It was like, you guys did this to... Um, it was very like focused on Moses and Joseph and um, you can't keep accusing people of things that they didn't do. And it was very like stand up and <laughs> listen. And yeah, um, he doesn't say anything about the yeah, moment, right. like the actual accusations against him. He says, you guys have a tendency to kill people yeah. <laughs> who are doing the work of God. Yeah. And like he does this big like zoom out where he says, I am just the next person in line that. People have a, a hard time sometimes with prophets. Um, and he says this, this is especially tied to famine. Like there's several times where he talks about how there was famine in the land um, and how God is always faithful to famine. But something about famine makes people question whether God is really working through the prophets. Which is funny because at the beginning of the chapter... What are you, right it's people yeah. not having enough food and something about not having enough food makes people like we're seeing hanger i think here right like oh that, absolutely that thing of like fear of not having enough breakfast right uh, can cause people to murder prophets basically mm -hmm. um so it really is sort of about breakfast yeah <laughs> like it's <laughs> it's about the provision of god for for our needs yes feeling fulfilled and yeah and so we see it not just in the life that Stephen lives but in the story that he tells that when people have gotten really hungry uh, they have not wanted to hear the truth about who God is and they haven't trusted God to provide so when Moses is in the desert the people are complaining that they don't have enough to eat even though like bread is literally falling from the sky on them mm -hmm. they're mad that it's not good enough or that it you know that they can't be for sure if it's going to be there the next day. Right. Yeah. Uh, Joseph's story. Yeah. Joseph's story is all about a famine and the way that God weaves Joseph's story for him to be in place to secure food for God's people. Um, one thing I read this book about how different people hear Bible stories. And do you know the, the prodigal son story? Yes. The story of the, the older and the younger son and the older son stays home and he's faithful and the younger son runs off and spends his father's wealth and then has to come back home broken and looking for grace. Like it's this great story, but this guy kind of studied how different cultures hear the story. And what he figured out is that most people in the Western world where they have plenty of breakfast, 
don't pay attention to the fact that there's a famine ah. in the story. Yeah. That we often, because we, most of us in America have access to some kind of breakfast or and know that we will tomorrow too yeah i didn't i didn't really think about the famine component yeah because it's one thing to have today's like daily bread but if you if you aren't sure you know and maybe even during the pandemic people have had more fear of you know early on it felt like jobs were dropping and and people were getting more afraid of of what tomorrow would look like mm-hmm. um and and in certain cultures there's more that idea not just of like my family not having enough but the land actually not having enough food um so it's this this big idea in steven's story and also in his life uh, about what it does to people um when they're worried about food and i think it makes that call on the church even bigger to supply food to people right. you know which is m- wild because that is what Stephen was actively doing too when he was getting persecuted yeah and so because he's full of grace and power he sees he sees this issue um and now what's interesting is also that Stephen, it's this horrible story because they they go ahead and they stone him um which i think would be an awful way to take your last breaths you know like just seems so violent yeah to have all this weight on you um but he also mirrors jesus in this moment uh because he says lord don't hold this sin against them uh which we know jesus also said with some of his last breaths uh and so this idea of of issuing grace even on his way out of the world right that that takes power and grace yeah very extraordinary um so this is, we're going to see this happen uh, to, to some people in the story of Acts is this persecution. Um, we get a little bit of a hint. Again, Luke does this thing. So he drops a little bit of a hint that there's a man named Saul who's masterminding minding some of this persecution. And we get a little preview of him um, in the beginning of chapter 8. There's just a note there that he's at the persecution of Stephen. And he's kind of watching over everything that's happening. And we'll talk about him later. But I want us to just finish with um, this idea of sacrifice, right? We're, every time we, we look at these stories, we're trying to say, is there anything that challenges us? So I guess, is there anything in this story of Stephen that you find challenging? Like, would it change the way you do breakfast tomorrow? I I agree with the word that you used to describe Stephen, the the beauty of this story um, and the bravery in this story. I would just want to wake up and have that sort of that kind of conviction. I don't know if I have that right now and I want that and I want to find out why Stephen feels so, so strongly convicted that he's able to have this arc in the Bible for us. So. Yeah, I I think that there's so few things that I sacrifice for, you know. I I mean it's so silly. But like I like yesterday, so we're recording this at, towards the end of April. Yesterday was Independent Bookstore Day. Okay. And I love I love independent the idea of independent bookstores. But I will I will settle for Amazon. Oh, I for know. For convenience, you know right. what I mean? Like it doesn't even though I deeply believe in the value of like going to a bookstore and roaming the shelves and like the value of having people who love literature, like hone a collection 
and make their living selling books. Like I, I love that idea, but I sometimes won't sacrifice the convenience to like live like what I believe. Right. And that's a, that's like a simple, silly, maybe not so silly, but that's like a simple thing, right? Of how little we're sometimes willing to sacrifice. And when I, when I consider Stephen's story, I'm kind of left like, is, would I die? Like, would I die for the story of Jesus? Like, I think American Christians, we, our imagination is a little bit limited in that way. We, we see persecution in like the Christmas wars. Right. You know, like we have these kind of silly battles Mm -hmm. for our faith. And I think doing that makes us feel noble sometimes. Like, um, but we maybe miss out on this, this goodness of Stephen where he's willing, I mean, I think going back to where we started, right, they, they considered it like an honor. Right. Like it wasn't even just that they accepted it. It was like they were almost like stoked for this mm-hmm. idea of suffering for the name of Jesus. That, And again, these are people who maybe had some firsthand experience with Jesus. So we might forgive ourselves that we don't have that kind of like – we haven't had to look him in the eye, <laughs> so maybe yeah. it would be different. But again, if we also believe in the mystical heaven meets earth in us, then then what would we what would we give it all up for? Um. So that's where breakfast can lead us. Sometimes I think is to dangerous places. <laughs> in conclusion, so, so there we go. <laughs> uh, it's a dangerous thing to lack breakfast for everyone. Um. Thank you for joining us for the breakfast translation. Again, our hope is that people would read along with us. So for our next episode, we're going to dig into Acts chapter 8 and look at a couple of conversion stories. Uh, I will mention that we do have an Instagram account if you want to find us at the breakfast translation on Instagram. Our hope in the future is that that might be a place where people can uh, pose questions or pose their own thoughts um, and There'll just be breakfast-related content there. Uh, So contact us there if you're enjoying this, if you have breakfast ideas, or if you want to tell us um, what you find impressive about Stephen. Thanks for joining us on The Breakfast Translation. Who wrote the end of the story? Who found the last love? Who wrote the end of the story?